Hi, and welcome back to the Teach for the Heart podcast. I'm your host, Linda Cardamus, and we're here to give you the ideas and inspiration you need to overcome your teaching challenges and make a lasting difference in your students' hearts and lives. Today, we're going to talk about a little bit of a difficult topic, but one that I think is so important, and that is, what do we do when culture and the Bible clash? And this is something that's happening more and more often and that we're going to be facing more and more as teachers, whether you teach in a public or a private school. And so I'm really excited to talk to you about that today. Before we do that, I want to remind you that you can now get PD credit certificates for listening to podcast episodes. You can get all the details at teachfortheheart.com slash PD. We'll certify that you've listened and award certificates at a very, very minimal fee. And that payment also helps us to keep this podcast free and supports our ministry that we do at Teach for the Heart. So if that's something that you think would be helpful if you need some PD credit um, and you take advantage of that, thank you so much. That is a wonderful way that you can support our ministry here. Today, as I said, though, we are going to be talking about what to do when scripture and culture clash. And in particular, three principles to anchor us. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes it's very easy to feel a bit unmoored <laughs> um, in the fact that there is are so many messages coming at us from our culture, so many issues that we're facing that are very, very confusing. And they're confusing because in some cases they're nuanced, or in some cases the messaging from the world is just so different um, that you, we need to stay grounded in truth, but then wisely figure out, you know, how do we have discussions with people? How do I have the right view that is both that is grounded in both love and truth? And it can be really, really challenging. And so I'm excited to dive into these um, concepts with you. And like I said, these this applies to any time when scripture and culture clash. But a few things that I have in mind that might be helpful for you as you're thinking this through is particularly um, in relationship to sexual identity gender identity, um, and then also in questions re- related to um, critical race theory and the questions of how do we pursue racial unity and unity of all kinds from a biblical framework rather than from a secular framework, which is something we've talked about on this podcast and, and we'll continue to talk about it more in the future. So those are a few questions that I have in mind where I feel like our culture and biblical values are clashing in a way that is very open and with where as Christians and as Christian teachers in particular, we can really feel a lot of confusion, a lot of fear, a lot of, you know, unsure, being unsure of what to do. So as I said, I have three principles here that I want to talk to you about that I'm praying will be helpful for you to keep us moored and anchored as we consider these things and as we interact with others. Um, Number one, scripture is the authority, not culture. So this is a principle that we have to keep in mind, an anchor that we have to cling to, recognizing that scripture is the authority, not our culture. When we consider issues, any issue, but in particular, these these um, ones where the clash is so obvious, there's two things that there's two different approaches we can take. We can let culture inform how we view scripture, or we can let scripture inform how we view culture. 
I think it's so important to recognize scripture is the authority. God's revelation to us is what we can trust implicitly. And we have to interpret culture through the lens of scripture rather than interpreting scripture through the lens of culture. Because, and I, and I hope I don't really have to explain to you too much why. <laughs> it's because God's word is his inerrant revelation of himself to us. God is the creator. He is unchanging. He can never make a mistake. He is right (laughs) by virtue of being the creator, first of all, but then because he is good and righteous and loving and just and everything that he is, okay? And scripture is his inerrant revelation to us. We can misunderstand and misinterpret scripture, but scripture is not wrong, right? Culture, on the other hand, is changing. It is I mean, cultures change, right? Every culture is different. Culture changes from generation to generation. It is shifting. It is unmoored. Um, it does not have a fixed anchor point. Um, it is um, trying to figure out what we, where we come from and what our purpose is. And so we cannot go to culture for our answers. We have to go to scripture for answers and recognize God, the creator, as the ultimate authority. We have to be very confident in him, knowing that he is right. He is right. And so we go to scripture looking for answers truly from scripture. And as I said, it's sometimes we we have to interpret our culture through scripture and we have to fight back on that tendency to try to make scripture fit what we want it to fit based on our culture, which is a natural tendency. It's a natural tendency to look at a verse or look at a scripture and say, okay, this is what I want it to say. So how can I like make it make, you know, how can I interpret this in a way that fits what I already want it to stay? And we have to resist that temptation and instead truly approach scripture with a desire to understand what it teaches. And with like a an open mind and an open heart and saying, God, Holy Spirit, please show me what your word actually says and then show me how to apply it to what I'm facing in the culture. I hope that makes sense and I hope that's really helpful for you as you study, as you do your own study and your own research to just have that firm confidence in scripture and that God is right. Number two, second thing I want to talk about. So first principle, first anchor is that scripture is the authority, not our culture. Number two, we have to realize that identity, our identity comes from God, the creator, not ourselves. If you listen to our last quick thought, we started to explore that a little bit, but I want to take it a little bit further today. We have to have a biblical view of our identity. And recognize how that's so different from the way culture views identity. So as human beings, every single one of us, our true identity is wrapped up in God. It comes from God, the creator, and what he says about us. And as Christians, that is how we need to view our identity. Culture, though, is very, very different. Our culture, by and large, denies God, okay? It refuses to acknowledge a creator. 
It's willfully ignorant of that, as it talks about in Romans. And so in a denying of a creator, then, we as a society, I'm talking about a society, not as Christians right now, as a society, have to go around and discover and make up our own identity, right? So we have to go find our own identity somewhere else. And since there's no God, we're free to make it or discover it however we want, right? So our our culture is building identity around all kinds of things, right? Um, sometimes we um, build our identity around our race or our culture or our ethnicity or our perception about our gender or our sexual desires, okay? In particular, in relationship to um, sexual identity and gender identity, there is a strong, strong correlation in our culture between identity and the and those desires, right? So we talked about this in the last Quick Thought episode. If you are a man that is attracted to men, you are gay. That is who you are. That's how our culture defines identity, right? If you feel like if you were born, I'll, I'll use their language here, if they say if you were born as a biological woman, but you feel that you are, are a a man or a boy, um, then your your desire to be a boy is who you are. You are a boy, right? Okay. So, do you, do you see that strong correlation in our culture between our desires or what we want or what we think and our identity? Notice the we's, what I want, what I think, what I feel is who I am, right? From, in, from our culture's perspective, that is who you are. But God's is very different. What God says about who we are is very, very different. It says, yes, you have a race, you have a culture, you have ethnicity, you have desires, you have thoughts and feelings. And those are a piece of who you are, but they're not at your core who you really are. It's just a piece of you. And so as Christians, we can we need to have a firm understanding of where our identity should be coming from. And it's this. Every human being, whether they recognize God or not, who they are is a creation of God. Whether they want to recognize it or not, that is who they are. They are God's creation. They are loved by him with an everlasting love. And they were designed, they were made for a relationship with God. They might be running, they might not know that, they might not want to know that, they might be running from that truth as fast and as far as they can, but it's still true. That is who they are, and only a relationship with God will truly satisfy the deep longings of their hearts. That is their identity. If you are a believer, if you are in Christ, you are all those same things. You are God's creation, loved by him, designed for relationship with him, marred by sin, but God sent his son to redeem you, right? That's what everybody is. As a Christian, though, you have more added to that. You are chosen. You are holy, declared holy, not because you are good, but because Jesus died and gave you his righteousness, perfect righteousness. So you're declared holy. You're declared righteous. You are destined for eternity. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. These things are the core of our identity. They are where we must find our identity, okay? So everyone, everyone in the world, especially young people, are searching for identity. And we are either going to find it in Christ, where it truly is and where it truly satisfies. Finding our identity in Christ is where we will be truly satisfied. But if we don't find it there, we will search for it 
in all other places. And so we will tie it to all kinds of other things. We will tie our identity to our sexuality or our beliefs about gender or our race or all kinds of things that won't truly satisfy because it's not satisfying that deep desire for for God, right? So it won't satisfy us tying our identity to these things. And by the way, I don't want to go on too big of a tangent here, but even as Christians, we have to be careful about what we tie our identity to. It's not always, you know, like we can tie our identity to really good things like our culture or like I said, race or or things, even things like career. We can tie our identity to our career. We can tie our identity to being successful. We can tie our identity to our family and our role as a as a mom or a dad or a spouse. We can tie our identity to our friends or being popular or being wealthy, all kinds of things. But anything we tie our identity to other than Christ and who he says we are and what we are in him, it will never, never satisfy. So what am I saying here? We just need to recognize what's happening. Remember, this key principle is our identity comes from God, the creator, not ourselves. As Christians, we must tie our identity to Christ above all other things, above bad things, but above good things too, right? If I'm a wife and a mother, that's important, but that's not my core identity. My core identity is Christ. And those are other things are part of the gifts that he's given me, right? Um, now, as we interact with unsaved, whether it's whoever it is, um, that are trapped in their own view of identity, we just, we need to understand who they truly are. God's creation, loved by him, designed for relationship with him, marred by the curse of sin, but God sent his son to redeem them. We have to remember that. We have to see and understand how their true need is Christ. And I'm just going to apply this for a second um, to the topic of um, sexual identity. You know, as Christians, when we are tempted when we to be swept away by the word, world's messaging, it is this question of identity is so important because it just changes the way we view things. Um, we're going to get to this more in a second, but specifically with the example of sexual identity, if we are defining ourselves by our sexual desires, then that is who you are. Right? And 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 so that should never be challenged. But if we are defined by what God says about it, then our sexual desires or take other issues, our views about our agenda or, you know, all, all, whatever issue we're facing, those things fall underneath who we are in Christ. It doesn't mean they go away. It doesn't mean they're not they're not valid, but it means that they go underneath and in submission to, and then they, God changes how, it totally changes how we deal with that and how it affects us. And so that's just so, so important for us to understand and think through. Okay, let's back up and review. Number one anchor is that scripture is the authority, not culture. Number two anchor is that our identity comes from God, the creator, not ourselves. And then number three is we need to reject the lie as Christians that loving equals affirming and disagreeing equals hating. In this last anchor, basically what I want to do is talk about what is a loving approach as we wrestle with difficult questions, okay? When it comes to, um, as I said, hot topics, 
sexual identity, gender identity. Man, do you even hear the word there? Gender identity, sexual identity. It's even, it's so tied to identity in our culture that that's even the term we use, sexual identity. Oh my goodness. Okay. Um, that was an aside. But sexual identity, gender identity, um, racial tension can fall under here too. Um, so, we have to, what is a loving approach, right? As we discuss these things, as we seek to understand, as we seek to help each other and have difficult conversations, as we seek to disciple, if you're in a Christian school and you're trying to disciple teens in how do we understand these things from a biblical worldview, um, if you are in a public school and you're trying to help students and your hands are tied in what you can and can't say, regardless of what it is, what is a loving approach? And that's where I think it is key to reject the lie that loving is affirming and disagreeing is hating. We see this lie over and over. It is being crammed down our throat. It is being, um, it's becoming the, the, the normal narrative. And it's just not true. And this lie flows from the other lies that our culture believes. Follow this logic with me, Okay. Remember, we just talked about our identity. If our desires equal our identity, then not affirming that is hateful, okay? So let, we'll use the same example we've been using with sexual identity. If, um, if let's say, um, we have a, a, a man and his desire, he is attracted to other men, if that desire equals his identity, if that desire means he is gay and being gay is his identity, then to not affirm that identity is, is kind of hateful, right? That's the logic, right? You can see where that logic comes from. It's hateful to say, you know, anything against this because this is who I am, right? The only loving thing in that case is to affirm your desires because it is who they are. Um, and we see this continually. I, I'm, I don't have to really give you examples. You've seen it over and over, but just an example I saw in one of our Facebook groups recently, someone said, you know, there's nothing wrong with calling a child by the name and gender they prefer, and it's hateful to say otherwise. Your belief can't infringe on theirs. Okay, this was a comment made in our Christian Teachers Facebook group, okay? This, this narrative is so prevalent that it's hateful to say anything, to do anything but affirm. And I'm just trying to help you see that that lie, that narrative that is be comes from the belief that desires are our identity. And we've already talked about how from a Christian perspective, which once again, a Christian perspective is God's perspective, which is the true perspective. It's just not true. And so this lie that follows from that first lie is also not true. According to God, you know, it, from a biblical perspective, our desires are just desires. They are often caused by the fall, and they often take us away from the path that God has designed. Yes, sexual desires are one of them, but sex, I mean, sexual identity is one area, but I mean, this think about it and cross it, tons of, tons of desires that we have are not right, right? If we stay in the realm of sexuality, um, lust, lust is a wrong desire, right? It's, it's caused by the fall. 
It's not sinful to have the desire, but it's, it's sinful to follow after it, right? There are all kinds of desires in our hearts. And, and sexual identity is just, sexual desires are just one of them. Desires for pride, desires for um, undue desire for wealth, and undue caring about what other people think about us. I mean, there's a million desires that are in our hearts as a result of the fall, right? They are a part of sin's curse on us, that we have these desires that lead us astray, that lead us away from the path God has designed for us. So in these hot button cultural issues, if our desires are just desires and not inherently who we are, which is what we believe as Christians, which is what the Bible teaches as Christians, then it's not loving to affirm those desires. It's damaging, okay? And I think it's so important that we recognize this. Now, what do we do with that? Does that mean that we confront everybody? No, probably not. (laughs) Um, Maybe, It really depends, okay? It really depends. So do we confront people? Maybe, maybe not. Probably not, but sometimes yes, okay? Did you love that really clear answer? (laughs) The reason it's so muddy, though, is because it depends on so many factors. It It depends on the relationship you have with them. It depends on the timing of the conversation. And it depends, most of all, on the leading of the Holy Spirit. There are many times where we are not called to address that. Okay, we just need to, we need to simply love this person and show them love. Um, There are times, though, where God does call us to speak truth in love, to be salt, to let our words be with grace but seasoned with salt. So we really need to follow the leading of the Spirit, okay? Um, But either way, whether we do feel God is calling us to speak truth or confront an issue or not, to love somebody means to love them. Loving is not affirming, and affirming is not always loving, right? We simply need to love every single person that God has placed in our lives, regardless of who they are, what they think, how they treat us. We are called to love. Um, And, I mean, we're called to love our enemies, for goodness sake, right? If we love those who love you, what reward do you have? Everyone can do that, right? That's what Scripture says. We are called to love our enemies. So we're definitely called to love people that disagree with us, people that we disagree with, people that have different philosophies than us. And what does that mean? But what does it mean to love them? Our culture says to love someone means you affirm them. No, to love someone means you love them. (laughs) It means, as 1 Corinthians says, you are patient. You are kind. We are caring. We're compassionate. We seek to help. We seek to care all of these things. We should love everyone with that 1 Corinthians 13 love that God has shown to us. That is the love that we should show. And people around us should be able to see that love pouring out of us for our LGBTQ students, if we have them, Uh, for our LGBTQ colleagues, if we have them, for those that completely disagree with us on the right path forward to racial unity, to those that don't understand the problem, to those that, that, um, you know, disagree with us completely on culture, to those that are on the opposite side of the aisle, to those that are so far from God that we don't feel like that they could ever be reached. It doesn't matter who they are. (laughs) To to those who agree with you on nine out of 10 issues, but there's this one that they don't. To the colleague next door, I could go on and on. This is how we are called to love everybody regardless. And so I think that that is is what we need to focus on. So 
So in this number three, we need to reject the lie that loving is affirming and disagreeing is hating. We need to focus on truly loving. Truly loving isn't just affirming, it's actually loving. (laughs) Loving everyone by God's definition of love, not the world's definition of love. And then letting the Spirit guide us in our words to let us know when it's wise, when wisdom is to stay silent and when wisdom is to speak. Um, And the Holy Spirit can and will guide us if we are surrendered to him, if we are praying and asking him to guide us and are in tune with him. And then just one other little thought that just popped in my mind, we're going to make mistakes. We are not going to get this right 100% of the time. And having the humility, humility is also so huge in this, right? Love is humble. Love does not seek her own, right? Um, having the humility to go to people and apologize when we mess up, when we when we realize, man, I, I said something and I and it didn't come out right, or I I this was the time to be silent. I thought it was the time to speak and it wasn't. I'm sorry, you know, just being humble and 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 pursuing relationships with those around us and truly loving as best we can in the enabling of the spirit in recognition that we are all. We are all fallen and we are all works in progress, but God loves each of us and is working in each one of our lives. I pray that these principles are helpful for you as you consider these things. These this is these things are hard, but they're not going away. Um our pastor Alistair Begg just wrote a book, Brave by Faith, and I'd encourage you if you feel like you want some more help with these, grab that book, Brave by Faith by Alistair Begg. I've been reading it. It's been really helpful. And he talked with us one Sunday night in just kind of a really um, heartfelt conversation about about this. And he was sharing how, you know, we really live now. We, we know there's been this debate in our, in, in, you know, past years, you know, is our country a Christian nation or not? And regardless what you think about that, I really, if we're being honest and looking at this, we are entering, if we're not there yet, we are entering a a post-Christian culture. And unless there is an incredible outpouring of God's grace and spirit in bringing us back to himself, that's where we're headed soon, if we're not already there, into a post-Christian world where our Christian beliefs are going to become more and more alienating, more and more foreign, more and more not mainstream, and more and more not accepted. And we need to understand that. We need to recognize that. And we need to not be afraid of that. Um, to recognize that this world was never supposed to be our home. We were never supposed to be comfortable here. We have been. We've been enjoying great comfort, or at least relative comfort, compared to them, compared to those in other cultures, compared to those in other times in history, compared to those who dealt with great persecution. But that isn't that our comfort is not the goal of our lives. God doesn't call us to comfort all the time. God calls us to truth and love and sometimes very difficult paths. And so if God has difficult paths ahead for us, we can navigate those with a great confidence in God. So if you are feeling feeling fearful or unsure, I do really recommend that book, Brave by Faith. It's all about um, a God-sized confidence in a post-Christian world. It'd be really, really helpful to you. And another um, another connection point, um, we also have our brand new Teach for the Heart Mentorship, where we want to help you with a variety of practical classroom issues, but also questions like this. How do I engage? How do I stay strong in my faith? How do I interact with difficult questions? You can find out more about the mentorship at teachfortheheart.com slash mentorship. 
I hope that these words come across in the way that I mean them and that you got you you see our heart and if this is if this is troubling for you if if these things are very difficult for you I encourage you to reach out to us Linda at teachfortheheart.com we can kind of help you think through some of this or um, join our Facebook group and we can continue the discussion there at teachfortheheart.com/facebook let's take a few moments and pray before we go Father, thank you that you are true and right and just and that your word provides truth and direction for us. I pray that you will please guide us into your truth. There are so many things that are in our culture right now that are difficult that we sometimes struggle to understand. And I pray that you will make your will and your word and your um, design for us very clear. Show us Jesus. Show us yourself. Show us uh, day by day, how we can interact. Give us a supernatural love for all of those around us, whoever they be. Help us to um, show that love to everyone and in every situation. Only your spirit can work that love in us and have it pour out of us. And I pray that you will do it. I pray you will give us so much clarity and wisdom on when to speak and when to be silent. And help us to cling to you and your word and to find fellowship in each other um, and to understand and recognize the the lies our culture is throwing at us and to wisely interact, wisely reject them and, and be wise in our interactions. Thank you so much that you are with us every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you guys again so much for being here. I look forward to speaking with you again soon. In the meantime, keep growing, keep trusting. You really are making a difference.